All right. How many of you have ever taken a systematic theology class or Bible Institute? Okay, a couple of you. All right. How many know? Um, you know what? I was going to bring some books here to show you, but I'll have to do that for next time. How many uh, know what systematic theology is? It's okay if you don't raise your hand. Okay. Um, or maybe you've read a systematic theology book. Um, not the not the easiest of reading sometimes, but but today that's what we want to to talk about. So first we want to see what is systematic theology in order to understand what it is, what, what we plan to do over these next six months. Most people have a basic understanding of what theology is, right? What does theology mean? Right? Study of God. So you have the two words there. Uh, it looks like I already had a... Theo is actually from the Greek word theos, which is God, and then ology is just the study of. You have all sorts of ology like psychology and so on. So the study of God. Systematic just means orderly or or careful or a conveying of information. And so when you put those two together, what we're looking at is an orderly arrangement of the study of God. Alright? An orderly arrangement of the study of God. There you go. So what systematic theology does is it seeks to arrange all of the biblical teaching into a logical uh, set of doctrines, okay? a logical set of divisions. And this allows for us to, to be able to form our, formulate our doctrines, to be able to understand the Scriptures in a doctrinal way. Uh, we can look at things like the nature of God or uh, Christ and His sacrifice how God has revealed Himself to us in Scripture and how He interacts with His people. So what we plan to do over the next 26 weeks will be to comb through the Scriptures and try to collect um, relevant passages and data in order to, uh, to support these doctrines that we already affirm, hopefully, and others that, that you'll, you'll be able to see that, that are ones that are biblical. So, Systematic theology is the orderly arrangement of the study of God. And uh, I'll talk about why this is important here in just a second. But, but what systematic theology, theology is not. Now that we've dis- discussed or defined what systematic theology is, now we need to see what it is not. First of all, it is not biblical theology. Okay? Now, you might be saying, whoa, 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 stop here. I'm done. I'm leaving right now not biblical, so I, I don't need this. But um, it actually is biblical, but it's not biblical theology. Okay, so let me explain. Systematic theology um, is is biblical in the sense that it's drawn from the, the text. So the, the truth of these doctrines that we're going to study is drawn from the text, from the text of Scripture, that is. So it is biblical in that sense. But it's not biblical theology. Okay, that's a completely different study, a, a different um, uh, way of studying the Scriptures. And not, a, not a wrong way or anything like that. The biblical theology refers to the study of God by tracing the historical development of a certain doctrine. Okay, so we could ask the question, um, how does Isaiah view prayer? Or how does Isaiah pray to God? And then we could say, we could come to the New Testament and say, how does Paul pray? And how does that... Uh, how does that differ from from the from the Old Testament way of praying? And so you have a historical tracking. 
In other words, biblical theology answers questions um, like how do we track something throughout the Scriptures? And uh, and you do it more in a historical way. This is ten- This really is the way that we study in the morning and the evening service and on Wednesday night. When we're working through a book of the Bible, we're doing it in a historical way. We're thinking about it in its historical context and we're, we're, um, we're walking through it uh, chronologically, really, in many cases. So, systematic theology is not biblical theology in the sense that it doesn't focus on individual sections of Scripture, but rather the whole of Scripture. So, it would say, instead of, what does Isaiah say about prayer, or what does the New Testament say about prayer, it says, what does the whole Bible say about prayer? So, it's a broader study. You could say biblical theology is a subset of systematic theology. So, systematic theology answers questions um, like, um, what, what would... What does the entire Bible say about Christ and His work on the cross and what it means for believers of all ages? So, historical, doct- historical theology or biblical theology is more historical in that it, it looks at a doctrine throughout the ages. If you were here the last four months of last year, we studied through church history, and this is how we looked at church history in a historical way. Meaning, we, we, we started with you know the time of the apostles, leading up to Constantine. What did Constantine view the church as, or the people in that day? How did they view the church? Then we moved on to the Dark Ages, and then Martin Luther, and so on. We see how the doctrines develop, or how they, how the different people view those different doctrines. Okay, so that's, that's, that's what biblical theology would be. We're actually looking at it in a systematic way, a organized way. So we're just, instead of taking one time period we're taking one doctrine okay so the doctrine of christ the doctrine of god the doctrine of sin or so and so on so now let's talk about some advantages of doing this why why even spend some time all right already talked about that advantages of systematic theology uh what's the point where there are several advantages first we're able to see the whole um of the Bible's teaching on a given topic. We're able to see the big picture. Okay, so what does the Bible say about creation? We don't just go to Genesis 1 for the Bible's teaching on creation because there's more, right? We have uh, God the Father and the Spirit being there in creation in Genesis 1, but then you go to Colossians chapter 1 and you see that Jesus was active in creation, that He was the agent of creation. So, So it's a broader perspective, you see. So we're able to see the Bible in a big picture. <clears throat> Secondly, we can see the connections between the doctrines. Can you see the logical relationships between various doctrines? So when we get to doctrines such as conversion, salvation, or sanctification, glorification, how do those all connect? We're not just looking at Paul's teaching on initial initial salvation, justification. We're looking at salvation as it relates to all of the scriptures and then how it connects to sanctification and how it connects to glorification. Thirdly, um, we're brought face to face with the fact that our knowledge is bounded by God's revelation and we're led to acknowledge that the Bible is the only source of truth, okay, of, of genuine truth. We see that the entire Bible was written by God and this will be a helpful exercise for each one of us to go through these 
uh, different doctrines and to, to recognize it. We're not just saying these because this is the way people always believed or this really um, makes a lot of sense. We're saying it, uh, those, both of those may be true, by the way, but, but we're saying it because God said it. All right, or are we believing it because God uh, said it? Fourthly, fourth advantage is that we see the harmony and consistency or the unity of the Scriptures. That um, while the Bible does have over 60 different authors, it really has one, okay, one divine author, that is God. And so as we see God's, okay, there's not going to be any contradictions in Scripture. There may be apparent contradictions where you look in one passage and say, oh, that doesn't seem to make sense. But as we systematize, okay, as we organize all these doctrines into to a system of doctrines, then what's going to happen is you'll start to see that the Bible is a whole. It's not just a bunch of separated parts that just happen to fall together and guys kind of chose which ones were the best. No, this is God's Word. And it's, it's all unified. And lastly, we can further develop our biblical worldview, or at least we can support what our biblical worldview already is, if, if yours is fully developed. I hope you're still developing your biblical worldview as I am. Um, when, when I think of worldview, I think of uh, glasses, okay? the way that we view the world. We start out with a, a non-biblical worldview, a humanistic type worldview by nature. We are, are, are humanistic. We're relativistic. Um, but, but we need to have a biblical worldview. If we're not being influenced by the Scriptures, if we're not looking at the Scriptures and its doctrine and allowing that to shape us, then we're automatically being influenced by the world. And so we, gotta, we have to be regularly uh, for, formulating our understanding and, and changing our understanding of the, of, of the world based on the scriptures, and so systematic theology helps to to do that. It's a good discipline to um, to, to bring together our all of our uh, different um, studying techniques and abilities into one into one system. All right. Now there are three cautions, potential dangers of studying theology. When we do this systematically, there's, there's a few dangers that we have to watch out for. Um, we, we have to be careful that we don't, that we don't um, put systematic theology over the Scriptures. Okay, that's why I intended to have my, my systematic theology book. I failed to bring it up here. But, okay, so if we take... Our systematic theology book, and we say, now this is what I believe, and now that now the Bible is subservient to what I believe. That's dangerous. Okay, so still we're not we're not replacing. Okay, we're not saying okay we had the Bible as the center of our authority. Now we'll put that aside, and now this is my authority. Systematic theology. Okay, that's not what we're doing. We're 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 still seeing our systematic theology, and that's why I say we're always changing. We're always making sure we, we have it right. Uh, hopefully, orthodox doctrines are not being changed. But, but the systematic theology is always subservient to the Scriptures. All right, So we have to be careful that we don't put that in the place of Scriptures. All right, so let me give you two more, 
pitfalls. Um, the first is, actually, I just gave you that one. Placing a theology or a theology te- textbook on par with or above the Bible itself. Okay, This is simply a way for us to summarize or to organize the doctrines of Scripture. All right, the second potential danger is understanding doctrines um, out of context or understanding any biblical truth out of context. The uh, quote I have here, quotation I have here from Don Carson is, a text without a context becomes a pretext for a proof text. So we can, all these, it's kind of a silly way to say it, but, but all he's saying is that we can take any text that we want to and make it say what we want it to say. We just pull it out of context. I've, uh, I've illustrated this before um, with, a, with uh, the example of you giving a love letter to your, your loved one. Someone coming down the road, taking that love letter and, and trying to make it say something that it never intended. Okay? So, so this is what Carson has in mind when it comes to the Scripture, that, that we can take any text and just pull it out of its context and, and make it say what we want. And now it becomes our proof text. Well, the Bible says it, so it must be true. But see, all the individual texts, the, all the individual verses of Scripture or passages, they all fit within some systematized, some organization of doctrines. Okay, so what systematic theology does is it helps to, to show us a big picture and help, okay, all these questionable things that, you know, this person says this. How does this fit within my system of understanding? Um, and, and that's what it will help to do. But we have to be careful not to just just take verses out of context. Systematic theology seeks to understand the verse in its original context and then organize it into, into different units or doctrines. And then thirdly, um, an unbalanced system can affect our interpretation. Okay, so we have to be careful. This is another caution. Just We don't want to have an unbalanced system. Don Carson has noted that even to choose topics uh, is to impose a structure not transparently given in Scripture itself. What he's saying there is that the Scripture wasn't written in topical forms. Did you ever notice that? You, you don't have um, the book of worry or something like that or the book of, of um, you know, uh, trying to, to, to make it through trials type of thing. There's, they're written generally, especially in the Old Testament, more narrative form. And then in the New Testament, in prose form or kind of teaching type material. So, so since the Bible is not arranged in that way, we have to be careful that we don't take it too far. Now, what I'm saying is that it's not wrong for us to, to organize it into doctrines. I think you'll see Paul does that on several occasions. Um, but but we have to be careful with with um, with organizing something um, and and missing the main point of the text. So what that means is we're going to have to come to the scriptures, and this sounds kind of counterintuitive, but but we're going to have to come to the scriptures with certain presuppositions or pre-thinkings about it. We already have an idea of what the scripture has to say. Now you say, well. Are we supposed to come kind of with an open mind and and whatever? I'll talk about that here in just a second. But let's say we came to the scripture 
in an open, with an opened mind, so to speak, and we're just going to use our human reason type of thing when we come to Scripture. Um, well, we could start organizing the Scripture and say, you know what, they have all these different human authors, so that must mean that the Scriptures are fallible because they have human authors. Okay, that's coming with the wrong presupposition, a wrong pre-understanding. So we have to be careful about that. We have to make sure that we come with the right pre-understanding, that this is God's Word and God speaking through these men who wrote the Scriptures. And therefore, since it's from God and God is truth, that every, every uh, part of the Scripture is true. All right, so in order to guard against these dangers that I've brought up, we'll try to fill these classes with as much Scripture as possible. Um, we want this to be a, a faithful portrayal of what the Bible says, not of what I believe, what I was taught necessarily, but what the Bible says. Okay, and so that's going to require some effort on our part individually. Acts 17.11 says that the Brians were searching the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. All right, so that means we're going to need some discernment. We're going to need to pray to God and ask for help, for some enlightenment from the Holy Spirit to help us know um, God as He has revealed Himself to us. All right, so those are the cautions that we have to guard ourselves against. Are there any questions so far on what we've talked about? Systematic theology, the orderly arrangement of the study of God. It's not. Uh, in the category of, of biblical theology in the sense that it's historical, and then these three cautions. All right, anything so far? All right, good. Um, last one, we must study with discernment. Kind of said that, Acts 17.11. So why, why do this? Why take up so much time to study theology? Wouldn't we be better off doing something else? Let me give you four reasons why I think we ought to study theology. Number one, we need to study theology for God's glory. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Study theology for God's glory. Philippians chapter 1. What I want you to see here in verses 9 through 11 is what's, what Paul's highest prayer is for the people there at Philippi. What what does Paul see as the, the the primary end to the the Christian? Someone read verses nine through eleven for us. All right, so there is um, there is the argument that, you know, wouldn't it be better off just studying all practical things like how do I deal with finances, how do I deal with my kids, you know, all these sorts of things. And those are all important, and we should be able to draw out practical applications from the Scriptures, and, and there should be times when, when, uh, when we talk about those things in a church setting. However, what Paul is praying for here is what's the highest thing for a Christian, and that is to know God. 
that you would grow in all knowledge and discernment so that not... Okay, here's what can happen if we just study all practical application. Practical application is important. We can't just take the Scriptures and say it's all just a bunch of doctrines. Okay, that's one that's one extreme. The other extreme is saying all we need is just a list of what to do in certain situations. Well, Paul is saying, no, you don't need a list of do's and don'ts. Didn't you see that in the Old Testament? didn't work. Okay, it ultimately showed that the person was sinful and unable to meet up to God's standards. So if we had a big book where we could just go to and say, okay, what do I do in this problem? That might be helpful in the short term, but ultimately it doesn't help us to do what is most important as a Christian, and that is to know God. See, what Paul was looking for was for individuals not to be able to go to a certain list and just draw out, okay, what's right, what's wrong, I'll do it. But rather, I want to know who God is. What would He want me to do? And I know this is what He wants me to do because the Scriptures say that. Okay? I, I have spent so much time with God. I have worked to understand Him and discern His truths. Okay? This can be very mindless over here. This just... Um, just doing, doing this list of things, okay, list of rules. The, the Pharisees were good at that, weren't they? They were good at following a list of rules. But ultimately, they didn't know God. And that's what Paul is, is calling for here, to grow in all knowledge and spiritual discernment. Uh, listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. It says, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. So, there is a specific uh, informative or, or cognitive content to the Christian faith that, that, that is, is the responsibility of each individual believer and of the local church to, to teach sound doctrine, First Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.3. Right, so, so, for God's glory, if we want to glorify God, it's not just about finding a list of rules and doing them. Okay, I'm not... I'm not degrading that saying when the Scriptures give you a list of things to do, disobey them. I'm not saying that. But but that's not ultimately what we need. We need to know God. We do need to, to obey God. But we can't obey God unless we know what He has said. So we study theology for God's glory. Secondly, we study theologies um, in order to corporately reflect Christ to others. As a church, as the body of Christ, we study theology so that the church can be an accurate reflection of God to the world. We live in a, in a society that questions whether there is any real truth, any absolutes. And so the church stands and gives a reason for the hope that is in them, that is in us, that there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is truth in Jesus Christ. And that, that is revealed to us through His Word. Thirdly, for our own individual sanctification and growth. For our own individual sanctification and growth. Remember Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. Exactly. Okay, So if you want to be a person who is a God-fearer, then you need to start with wisdom. Or, or I should say the other way is is the, those who fear the Lord are those who are, are, are growing in knowledge and, and wisdom. Um, that's really the first step is starting to rec- is recognizing that God is wisdom and that, God, that, that wisdom comes from Him. 
So, for our own individual sanctification, that is, our own growth in godliness, it's not enough for us to just know about God. We actually want to know God. Okay, so... I could I could liken it to your relationship with your parents or your children or your spouse. It's not enough for you just to know a bunch of facts about that loved one. Okay, they like to go here. They like this color. Uh, this is the thing that really is their pet peeve and 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 whatever. It's not enough to know facts about them. You actually have to know them, be with them, spend time with them. And that's the way it is with God. We can't. It's just not enough to know facts. And so systematic theology helps us to. To, to think carefully about these things that have been laid out in Scripture and correlate them. Um, and, um, and ultimately, thinking rightly about God is very critical to the Christian life. As I mentioned last week when we finished up our study of the outworking of God's revelation, I said the way that you think determines the way that you feel and the way that you act. In other words, our knowledge determines what we feel and how we act. And so systematic theology is going to help us in that way. It's going to fill us up with, in a good way, knowledge about God and His truth. And that will help shape the way that we feel about God, about the world, about our problems. And it will also shape the way that we act towards Him our practices. All right, fourth reason for why systematic theology is important is because doctrine matters. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 31 with me, if you would. John chapter 8. The... We should, we should never minimize knowledge that is required in order to know God or in order to study God or in order to follow God. You know, we, we can't... What happens sometimes, we go to passages like Romans chapter 10, I think it is, where Paul says that knowledge puffs up. And so we, we want to stay away from that. We don't want to get any knowledge. Remember, Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says that, that you be filled with knowledge. I think what Paul was saying there in Romans 10 is that that there is a knowledge that puffs up. That that if that's all it is, it's just cognitive content. I am more superior than you because I have all this knowledge. If we don't do anything with it, it doesn't really doesn't do anything. It puffs up. It it makes arrogant. But knowledge can actually humble a person too. And um and I think Paul would, would definitely agree with that. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter eight, verse thirty one. Would someone read that for us? All right, so if you continue in my word, I think some other translations have, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Okay, so so biblical doctrine defines the boundaries of, of who God is and how He has revealed Himself to us. We can't just make up what we think, uh, what we want to think about God. Uh, we can't just imagine what He will approve. There are lots of people who do that. There are lots of religions that that follow that sort of path. Well, this is the type of God that I want to make. This is the type of God that I would like. I would like a God that doesn't judge at all. Right? Well, well, we can't make those choices because we're not God. You see, we 
determine from the Scriptures who God is, what He has demanded, and then that's the way that we believe and we live. The Bible says it, we believe it, and that should be enough. Um, and so we we want to to cover during this class all the major doctrines of Scripture. Now, um, when we do that, we're going to come up on some topics there that are difficult to understand, diff- difficult to correlate, I should say, with other parts of Scripture. Um, we will come to doctrines that will be uncomfortable, like judgment. Okay, When it comes to God being a judge, it's not very fun to talk about, to think about God in those terms, that He is a wrathful God against sin. But but we want to do this because we want to see how God has revealed Himself and, and there are churches who kind of ignore these types of things. Let's just talk about the, the fun, good doctrines, the, the ones that give me fuzzy feelings. And, um, and we certain, certainly shouldn't exclude those, but, but, um, but we, we need to recognize that there are more than that. Um, all right, so why do we study theology? We do it because we do it for God's glory. We do it to reflect Christ to others, to to um, to, to grow God, godly ourselves, and because doctrine matters. Any questions on on why we're doing this? All right. Okay. How do we do this then? How do we study theology? We have a need for authority. Okay. What should be our approach if we? agree that God has revealed Himself to us through His Word. We'll talk more about this next week. The doctrine of God... Actually, two weeks from now. The doctrine of God's Word. What is the final court of appeals when it comes to understanding these things? Okay, And there's three basic positions that are offered. And these are presented by J.I. Packer, uh, perhaps an author you've heard of before. In his book, Fundamentalism and the Word of God, he denotes three exclusive positions on authority when it comes to theology. Okay, first, the subjectivist sub- subjectivist position. Okay, this position is um kind of varies in form, but but there are all sorts of people that 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 um correlate or that that um that come to to an understanding of a certain doctrine based on this type of thinking. Scripture is kind of set aside, and what's what's most important is the open mind, what what a lot of people call it, or philosophy, or um, just religious practices in general, or science, or history. That's what's most important. So the Bible now becomes subservient to all these other areas of study. Okay, so if you go to a lot of public universities, you're going to see that the Bible is not sought as the primary authority, right? You go to a lot of of, uh, of pagan churches; it's going to be the same sort of thing. People are not going to you're not going to hear the word of God, generally speaking, when you come there. Um, you're going to hear what people think. You're going to hear what people feel. You're going to hear what what sounds good or what's what the general populace is talking about. And um, so the the proper ground for believing in something, according to this position, is not that the Bible or tradition has contained it or said it, but that reason and conscience has determined it. 
All right. So, so that's obviously you can see the flaws in that. You can see that's a very dangerous way of looking at the doctrines of life, the doctrines of of the universe. All right. Secondly, the traditionalist position. Traditionalist position. This holds that the final authority for faith and practice <clears throat> is not necessarily thinking, but but, pra- but but tradition or the official teaching of some church. You can fill in the blank for a church. I'm sure you can think of of churches that that do it this way. But but it's not just churches like the Catholic Church. There's lots of others that do this same sort of thing. Because we've always done it this way from our inception, we need to continue to do it this way. In other words, it's not what God says, but what the church says. And in this view, the Bible is neither complete nor comprehensible, or nor, nor comprehensive. It's not understandable. Um, for them, the Bible is just another thing. They'd rather go to the tradition of the popes or whomever. The Bible is, we could say, in their view, inadequate. Now, maybe they wouldn't say it in those terms, but, but that's basically what they're saying when the Bible isn't the authority. It is, it is inadequate. It needs some help. It needs some filling in with, with history and, and with tradition. Um, and so this teaching is, is put really on par with the Bible or in some cases above the Bible, that tradition trumps the Bible. Tradition is more important. And so when you have a question about faith and practice, the final court of appeals is not, okay, let's go to the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say. Let's go to all these former precedents, precedences that have been set in the institutional church of X. Okay? So that's the traditionalist position. You can see how that also has some major flaws. And final, the, finally, the evangelical position <clears throat> that the final, authoritative, reliable source of truth is God's Word. In other words, when it comes to the final court of appeals, what do we believe on this issue? What is the practice of our church on this issue? It is determined by what the Scriptures say. And so that's important because if we're going to have a correct theology, then then we must go to the Scriptures. We can't just go to the theology books and say, okay, this is what all these men have said in the past. Uh, that can be helpful, certainly. But, but ultimately, the Scriptures ought to be our primary authority. And the reason that, that they are, as I mentioned before, is because God is the author of the Scriptures and... Um, God is truth and He would never tell a lie or contradict Himself. And so, therefore, we can, we can be confident that the Word is the final source of authority. And when we do this, this, this also recognizes that the Holy Spirit is still active today, that, that the Holy Spirit is guiding the church to be the pillars and support of the truth. And so, the proper grounds for believing in a certain thing... It's not because I've always done it or because it really makes a lot of sense, but because the Bible says it. And, and that's, um, that's a critical way of, of understanding. Uh, that's a very important, vital way to understand things in life. 
We walk through life and just say, you know what, I've seen that work for someone else, so I'm going to do that too. That that can be helpful. Okay, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. We can't, when we first come to Christ, we can't initially understand all that there is to know about God. Even at the end of our lives, we can't do that. And so, so it makes sense that Paul would say something like that. Okay, as you're learning more about God and who He is, just follow me for right now. Mimic what I'm doing for right now. But but don't stop learning who God is. Don't stop learning about these key doctrines of the Scripture. And as you do, you'll start to see why I did, why I was walking this way, why I was following God this way. Do you see? So throughout this course, we're going to maintain two assumptions, or as I've called them before, presuppositions or pre-understandings. We're going to come to the Scriptures with these two assumptions. First, the Bible is true. The Bible is true, and it's the only absolute standard of truth. The Bible is true, and it's the only absolute standard of truth. Secondly, that the God who spoke the Bible exists. We're not going to come to the Scriptures and say, okay, let's come with a fresh understanding and imagine if that, that God doesn't exist and then make the Scriptures prove it to us. We're not going to do that. Because God says in Romans chapter 1, or God through Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that all people know that there is a God. That, that His invisible attributes have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So that all people know that there is a God. So we can't come to the Scriptures and say, well, do we really know about that there is a God? When we do that, when we question God's existence or the truth of God's Word, what's going to happen is, is we're going to, to come with a cynical approach to the Scriptures. Okay? And so which one of those three positions would we be taking? Would we be taking this one? No. Would it be tradition? No. Right? Subjectivist position. My personal human reasoning is going to trump God's Word. That's why we come with these pre-understandings. And and so we're not going to question those two things. Whether God exists and whether the Bible is is true. All right. So as we progress through these topics, we'll try to bring in um, the relevant articles of our own Constitution, our own Statement of Faith, to show you that that the people that have started this church and who have carried this, the the, the people who have uh, have sought to uphold these truths have derived them from the scriptures. That they're not just, ah, oh, this is kind of a nice thing that we'd like to we'd like to uh, to have as a part of our church. They they de- derive them from the scriptures. And so as we study through these doctrines, you'll, you'll start to see why we have the statement of faith that we do have. All right. Any questions? Oh. I had a couple more there, but you already said that. So, all right. So next time, I say next week. It's actually two weeks now, because uh, Bob Lamb's going to fill in for me next week. But uh, next time will be um, the doctrine of the Word of God. You have a, a schedule there on the back of your handout, as well as in the. The bulletin this morning, there's a schedule for the next quarter, and this will take us through the work of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll start into Systematic Theology 2, which is just the second section, and we'll work through more doctrines like 
the doctrine of uh, of sin and man and the end times and things like that. Jonathan. Um, the need for authority basically is if we don't have the authority, the evangelical position, that third one down there, we're going to come to one of the other two, the subjectivist or the or the um, the traditionalist approach. So the need for authority is that we have to have God as our authority. Otherwise, what we do is we take our own personal uh, human reasoning in a bad way. Um, and, and force it on the Scriptures instead of allowing the Scriptures to teach us what we, um, what we believe. Yes, Sandra. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one thing I mentioned last week um, uh, was along those lines is basically, you know, we, we have these certain doctrines that we hold to because, you know, someone told us to hold to them. And what we're trying to do in this class is to try try to look at them, try to, to evaluate them, see why do we believe what we believe. And um, and hopefully as we, we do this that you'll be able to see see that this is a critical, a vital uh, need for each one of us. That we can't just keep walking blindly through life following doctrines that we don't know why we follow them. Okay, so hopefully this will be helpful in that way. Alright? Anything else? Alright. Thank you for your attention. Let me uh, pray and we'll uh, be dismissed. Father, we uh, thank You that You have given to us this written word that we can uh, we can evaluate, understand, and obey, and we pray that we would not be um, people who just hear the word throughout these next 25 weeks, but that we would hear it and respond to it. That we would seek to be discerning people and see where it does apply to life, to life, and and how we ought to think, how we ought to feel, and how we ought to live. Um, I pray that you would help us to see the relevance of each of these doctrines that we take and 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 help us to be more committed to your word because of this study. Help us to be more in love with our Savior, more, um, more uh, committed to upholding your truth and making it known to others. Help us in this endeavor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.